Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text today is going to be taken from the reading in Isaiah and in Matthew. You may be seated. <clears throat> Begin today with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for gathering us here today to hear your word. And Lord, we give you thanks for this time of year, uh, which is full of so much joy and hope. And yet, Lord, there are many of us today uh, who do not experience that. Uh, but this is a difficult time of year for many of us. And so, Lord, at this time we pray that in the midst of our difficulties and in our frustrations, you would give us hope and joy in Jesus Christ. Uh, we ask this today as we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. remember hearing a story a few years ago about the Christmas pop hit Blue Christmas by Elvis Presley. Do you know this song, Blue Christmas, uh, by Elvis Presley? It's become sort of a, a staple in the Christmas radio catalog this time of year. But I remember hearing a story that the song almost didn't happen, uh, that that song was almost never made because, as it turns out, Elvis hated that song. Uh, he thought it was too slow. He thought it was too drab. It was kind of boring. And quite frankly, it, it's somewhat depressing I'll have a blue Christmas without you. I'll be so blue thinking about you. Decorations of, what is it, red on my green Christmas tree won't be the same, dear, if you're not here with me. It's actually not a very uplifting song this time of year, and Elvis hated it. So that when Elvis came into the studio to sing the song, he walked in and the first words out of his mouth were, let's just get this over with. It's like the same way you feel when you come into the sermon. Now, I often wonder uh, if this time of year, uh, if this is not the feeling that many people have about the entire season. Don't get me wrong, some of us love the Christmas season, some of us love Advent. We love the songs, we love the decorations, we love the presents, we love the gifts and the parties and all of it. We just love this whole season. But for many of us, it's quite the opposite. Many people come to December and they say, let's just get this over with, and not because they think the music is too boring or irritating, uh, but because this is a very difficult time of year for a lot of people. The pains and sorrows and frustrations that we face in our life tend to amplify themselves this time of year. Many people are coming into this season full of sorrow because they're missing somebody they love dearly, and this time of year only reminds them of their loneliness. A lot of people come in, and this is sort of the end of the year, and they're looking back, and they're feeling a bit of depression and shame, guilt over a sin they committed, harm that they caused to somebody else has made them feel guilty about life. Maybe that's you. And some people come into this season already uh, battling with depression, and this season only makes it worse. And you who are depressed, you know what it's like when you put on that fake smile and it looks like you're happy, but really that fake smile feels like a thousand pound weight just weighing down around your neck. A lot of people come into December and they say, hey, let's just get this over with. And not coming to church doesn't necessarily make things any better. I guess we'll kind of stick with this, uh, this Easter theme here for a second this morning, but uh, I know it's not a Christmas uh, illustration, but a number of years ago at my former congregation, uh, we had an Easter service, and after the service was over, we're all singing and celebrating, Jesus is risen, hallelujah, it's, you know, it's this wonderful thing, we're going out to the Easter breakfast outside, it was just going to be this wonderful thing, and I noticed one gentleman in our church uh, decided not to go eat breakfast, but instead went to his car, and he sat in his car, his truck, 
sad and depressed. Turns out his, his car, his truck there, also coupled as his house. He lost his family. He lost his job. He literally had nothing. And, and so I went up to the truck to, to invite him to come have breakfast with the rest of us to enjoy the Easter celebration. And he said, you know what, Pastor, not today. I'm just not feeling up to it today. Everyone here is so full of joy and happiness, and I, I just don't have that right now. I think deep down he was wondering, where was Jesus for him in all of this celebration? Why, no, why did he have no joy in his life? Again, I know that's an Easter illustration, but the sentiment is really strong this time of year where lots of people are singing joy to the world, and a lot of other people are saying, hey, let's just get this over with. Interestingly enough, if that's you, I think you find, uh, you can identify today uh, with John the Baptist as we find him in our scripture reading, sitting in prison. And there in prison, it was no picnic, it was no joyful time for John. It was a place where he was confused and frustrated. John had been out preaching Jesus Christ. Every time he saw Jesus, he would point to him and say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he was teaching people that Jesus was this Messiah, this Savior who had been promised from the Old Testament, who was going to come to liberate Israel, drive out the enemies, and bring peace and joy to all of creation. John, we know, knew Isaiah's prophecies very well. So you can imagine that while John preached, he would have prophecies like the one we heard today ringing in his ears. These incredible verses from Isaiah which say, Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. I mean, those are, the, those are the sort of promises from God that just make you want to get an orchestra and sing, right? I mean, these are the kinds of things that God says that just fill you with hope and joy. Unless, of course, you're sitting in a prison cell. Convinced as John was that he had faithfully prepared the way for the Jesus who was to come, only to find himself awaiting execution for preaching God's word. If there's supposed to be so much joy in the coming of this Christ, if sorrow and sighing are supposed to flee away, John is wondering, why am I stuck here in this prison cell? And so he wants to know. And so he turns to Jesus. You know, he can't go out to see him, obviously, and so he sends his disciples to ask Jesus the question that is just burning him up inside. Are you really the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Now, John isn't just seeking information here to make sure he signed up for the right religion. I actually think we need to hear this question a little bit more deeply. I think we could categorize this question uh, with the word I want to call lament. It's not just a question for information. This is a cry of lament, of, of lamentation. Lament is a form of prayer which we find throughout the scriptures that people pray to God when they are in a place of sorrow and despair, when they're in a place of pain and suffering. Lament is honest prayer. It's the sort of prayer you pray when you're angry at God and you decide you're not scared to tell him about it anymore. It's the sort of prayer that when you read it in the scriptures, it almost looks like it's unbelief. Except that lament is quite the opposite of unbelief. Because when unbelief is full of sorrow, when unbelief is depressed and full of, of, of fear, it runs away from God. But faith laments. That is, it turns towards God with all of its frustration and sorrow and depression. It holds God to his promises. And it clings to those promises even while it feels like it's undergoing the opposite. 
John knows that the Christ is to come. John knows he is to preach the Messiah and the Savior, but he also knows that he's not experiencing the joy of this salvation while he's in prison. There are many of you here today, you know that Jesus is the Savior. You know he is the Messiah. You know he is the Son of God, crucified and risen, and yet you don't feel any joy about it. You don't experience the the happiness of the season. You know that sorrow and sighing will flee away, but all too often you experience the opposite. So when we are experiencing this, what do we do with this? Well, again, John, I think, is our example today. For John teaches us to lament. Because even in his sorrow, even in his uh, position there in prison, John continues to do the same thing he's always done. He points us to Jesus. He points us to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John teaches us to take our sorrows to Christ. But now, this is not going to be a sermon specifically just about how we are to take our sorrows to Christ. We are to do that, but the main thing here today is not just that we take our sorrows and our laments to Christ, not that we turn to God with our depression and our frustration, which we most certainly should do, but what this is really about today is what Jesus does with us when we come to him. And what we find in Jesus today and how he responds to John brings us, I suppose, tidings of comfort and joy. Jesus responds to John, and I think he does so in two ways uh, to comfort John. The first thing Jesus says to John is this. He reaffirms to John that his preaching was not in vain, that he is, in fact, the Messiah who was to come. Listen to what Jesus says. Go tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. In other words, John, you know the prophets. And the prophets in the Old Testament said these were the things that were going to happen. And guess what? I'm doing those things. I am the Messiah that was promised, and I am bringing hope into this hopeless world. I am taking people who are suffering and in sorrow, and I'm bringing them to joy. I'm taking people who are dead, and I'm bringing them to life. Jesus is showing John that he is, in fact, who he claims to be. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior of the world. And you know this is true for you as well. And Jesus has proved it to you. Yes, by the miracles that he performed, but especially by the miracle that that Jim referenced in the children's message this morning, the great miracle of the resurrection, where though Jesus went to the cross to die for the sins of the world, he rose again on the third day to bring salvation to the world and to restore the creation back to the way it was supposed to be. Christ is, in fact, the one who has come to do this. Now, this is good news for the world. And John hears this, and he can can rejoice that he was right about Jesus, that Jesus is the Savior, and yet John can still sit there in prison and wonder why he's still in prison. We can hear this good news that, that Jesus has done all of this for the salvation of the world and still wonder, why am I not feeling joy about it? Why am I not experiencing it? Well, here's the thing. Jesus isn't done talking yet. He still has more to say. And so as John's disciples prepare to go back, Jesus gives them something more. And the one who has come to restore all the suffering and all that is full of sorrow then turns his eyes directly on John. And he doesn't just describe what he's come to do. 
he looks directly at the baptizer himself. And this is what he says. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. In other words, Jesus is doing something wonderful for John here. He's giving John something better than political liberation or freedom from jail. He gives him the good news that he lives under the favor of God, that God looks at John and says no one has been greater uh, born of a woman. Though John suffers in prison, though John is low and despised by the world, and though John feels lonely and full of lament, Jesus reminds him, the Father is smiling upon you with his favor, John. John, you are beloved of God. God John, you are chosen by God. John, God has sent me, Jesus Christ, for you. And what that means is, that though John is low and beaten right now, he will not remain there forever. For Jesus came for John. And Jesus will go to a place that is even lower and even darker than John's depressed prison when he goes to suffer John's hell on the cross so that he can give him not merely freedom from a prison cell, but the promise of a resurrection and the glory of the King of Kings for all of eternity. Jesus comes to John, to whom, who is here probably considered the poor, and preaches good news to him. But again, he's not done. Because Jesus now doesn't just preach to John, but now he takes his eyes and he fixes them on you, especially you who are low and depressed and full of sorrow this time of year. And he says, I didn't come to just do this for John. I came to do this for you. Jesus goes on, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The one who is least. You who feel that way, you who feel so depressed and sad, lonely and overwhelmed by life, full of guilt and shame, you who look at the joy all around you and feel like you are the least here. You come to church and everyone's dressed up and you're feeling great and we got an orchestra and everyone's singing and it just doesn't feel right to you and you feel like you are the least and the lowest here this morning. Jesus looks at you today and says, oh, you're greater than John the Baptist. How? Because the Father in heaven smiles upon you. God looks upon you with all the joy in his heart and has sent you his son, Jesus. Jesus, who's not going to make all of your problems disappear this time of year. He's not just going to give you sort of happy rainbow stories or something like this. No, but he's come to give you a promise that your depression, your sorrow, your frustration, your guilt, and your shame, all of it is temporary He's come to reverse it and replace it with an inexpressible, eternal joy. For Jesus Christ has entered into this creation to go to a place that is darker and more depressed than you can possibly imagine when he went to suffer your hell on the cross. And he did that so you would know the glory and the joy and the power of his resurrection. He did that so your sins would be forgiven and your sorrow would be turned to joy so that Isaiah's promise is true for you. Jesus will put everlasting joy upon your heads. You shall obtain gladness and joy and your sorrow and your sighing, it will flee away. Yep, it's a hard time of year. The truth is that this is a very difficult uh, time of year and a very hard life we have. 
And yet there is good news. For Jesus has come for you, and Jesus has overcome this world, and soon he will return. So you will know the joy of your God face to face. So now is the time for lament. Now is the time we pray with, with longing from this, pay, this, this veil of tears. Come, Lord Jesus, and let's just get this over with. And take heart, you baptized saints, because he will come for you sooner than you can imagine. And your sorrow will be no more. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the assurance we have in your promises. And Lord, though we struggle and suffer at this time of year, though we are filled with depression and anxiety, you have given us yourself. You have died for our sins. You have risen for our salvation. And you promise to be present with us in all things. Lord, help us to find comfort in your promises and sustain us into life everlasting. We ask this in your name. Amen. Having heard the word of our Lord, I invite you to please rise as we confess our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed.